Um, so, it's Mandy's birthday today. Um, and in, in light of it being Mandy's birthday, we met Mandy eight years ago? Did we meet eight years ago? Right on, right on. Um, so, I have to say to you, you are uh, mine and Lily's oldest friend here every day, every Sunday, you are. And um, every day, not every day, but every, every time here. Do what? Uh, we're going to get there soon enough, though. We're getting there, all right? I'm with you, but it's coming, all right? You're going to be our oldest friend as well at some point. It's sorry to say it, but it's probably going to happen to us all at the same time, all right? Um, I mean, legitimately, that would have been, we were 28 years old, 27 years old. That's crazy, because we're not that. Um, we just want you to know, though, happy birthday, and... Um, in all seriousness, uh, knowing you eight years ago and being your friend and you walking through stuff with Lily and I that when we had things that were hard and us with you, man, it's so good to sing with you every week. We're all, we're all the better for it. So thank you and happy birthday. You know, Mandy turned 30 today, basically is the deal. Yeah. (laughs) Nope. Cause she is our oldest friend. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that's the end of the conversation right away. Um, so, hey, also, um, th- that going into me being awkward sometimes over here. So we need to have, we need to do some things on our five-year anniversary. We have to have, like, something to do, okay? Like, we need to either, you know, be silly with things, have been, whatever we're going to do. But we need to think of um, fun things to do. And my wife, being as sweet as she is, and nice as she is to me and encouraging, said, oh, you know what would be a funny game? Let's uh, have everyone tell uh, the stories you repeat the most up there. And I was like, that's awesome of you. Are there some? And she was like, no. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, but we need, to, we need to think of things to do and things that are fun. So please, like, be thinking and suggesting fun things. Do what you say? Oh, yeah, she's hosting now. Even if she wasn't serious, she's hosting now. We're, we're having it at Gold Rush Vinyl now, so that's just how it's going to go. Um, but just keep that in mind and be brainstorming in your restore groups what we're going to do. That's fun. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, come on. Let's be serious, Emily. Do you think that we have it planned right now? I mean, let's... I know, I know. Well, you, your group needs to plan it. Take that. None. No, we'll talk to you about it. But let's do this. Let's turn to um, Luke 14, or 13, actually. Luke 13. We're going to read the end of 13 into 14 this morning. Um, and going in through Lent, um, any recap from last week that we remember? What did we talked about last week. What was it? Temptations of Jesus, right? There were how many of them? Some? Three, right, that encompassed many things, right? What, is, there any, is there any of them that you thought of through the week that was like, man, that, yes, that is something that I am led away and enticed by my, own, by my own desires from. I agree with Jesus on this would be a temptation for me. Like, this is one. Anyone? Mine was for sure control. Um, just at work thinking through, like, how I want everyone to do the things the way I want them to, <laughs> and having to like not force that upon everyone at all times, you know, and be like, no, 
these are people that do work in a different way than me, and that's okay, and this, is, this can work, and like, everything is still going very smoothly without me being seeking control and wanting that for more reasons than just wanting it the way I want it. Also, I want the control of the feedback, and I want the control of the affirmation, and I want the control of you did well, and all that kind of thing, right? So that was one for me. Anyone else? Or I can just share. <laughs> You're like, no, I really just want bread. <laughs> fasting is, yeah, fasting is so interesting in that it shows us how much our stomachs run our our life, run our rhythm, run our this this part of us that really doesn't need what we give it. Even you know, it's not we don't we don't need to eat what we do for sure. We don't need to eat how we eat. We don't need to eat when we do. That's not, that's a, a thing we have just created for it, right? And then we're like, I'm at one o'clock. I'm like, oh, I'm getting weak because I haven't eaten. That is not true at all. My body just wants sugar or whatever else I keep giving it, you know, or more coffee or something. It's ridiculous. So fasting is an interesting and like a tough show of what we're run by. You know what I mean? Like what, what really runs our day and what really runs our rhythms. That's tough. Any other one? Okay, so let's do this. Let's get into Acts 13, or Luke 13. See, we've been in Acts so long. It's like the only thing I know. Um, Okay, so we're going to get to uh, verse 31. Um, But let me give you a little background here. So Jesus is in in this time of there's a crowd with him, um, and he's, he's working through and... Um, living life teaching, um, having authority in people's lives, uh, healing, doing these things. Um, and there's been times of popularity for Jesus, and this is a mixed one, okay? People haven't decided yet that they must, like, end his life as a whole. Um, the Pharisees are frustrated. They're split, pretty much. He's about to have dinner at a Pharisee's house soon, but that's stopping very quickly. Uh, he's not going to get invited to those special parties anymore really quick. Um, but it's, it's mixed reviews on Jesus right now. So some people like him very much. Some people are confused by him. Some people do not at all like Jesus right now. Um, but there's still opportunity for him to teach in discourse. So he can share parables right now. There's lots of that time. And it's in the middle of one of these um, that we kind of have this break in conversation uh, with a Pharisee's comment to him. Okay? So he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about um, he heals someone. He talks about a fig tree. Um, he gives this um, parable of uh, a mustard seed, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Uh, also, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast, leaven and bread. If you really work the yeast into the bread, it affects the entire loaf and creates something beautiful with just something so small, right? And so he's in the midst of this conversation, and this Pharisee comes to him and says this in verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Just a break in that right there. Who's Herod? Who, who's Herod? Right. So he's, he's running Jerusalem and that surrounding region, basically. Yes. Okay? So could Herod kill him if he wants to? Yes, of course. Herod has the power of that. It's basically, that, that is basically Rome's power, right? 
So is this Pharisee, do you think, concerned for Jesus' life legitimately? Debatable, right? It could be. Right? It could be one that's like, no, really, you should leave. We've heard Herod wants to kill you. You are going to be killed by Herod if Herod wants to kill you. Or he could be trying to get him out of town and is using this Herod wants to kill you as an idea of even Herod wants to kill you, right? As this idea, okay? So it could be translated that way of, look, why don't you get out of here? Even Herod wants to kill you. No one wants you here. You are not welcome. Why don't you leave Why don't you leave our holy city with your unholy nonsense, with your disrespect of our law, with your disrespect of practice, with your disrespect of our people and our Sabbath? Why don't, why don't you leave, right? So we don't know, honestly, which one that is. Um, both are likely. That's why I said that in the beginning. It, it, both are likely at this point because not every Pharisee hates Jesus at this point. Not every Pharisee likes Jesus at this point either. So we're not sure, okay? We're not sure where that, what heart that comment comes from. But we can assume whichever heart it comes from, it's true. <laughs> okay, for him to say Herod wants to kill you, more than likely the case. For him to say even Herod wants to kill you also would be a true sentiment at this time, okay? Um, and he said to them, you go tell that fox, which is interesting. Jesus is, that's an interesting one. You go tell that fox, you know? I want to start saying that kind of. All week I've been like looking for a chance to be like, you go tell that fox. But I haven't got there yet. Um, you go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under his wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you stone the prophets, you kill those sent to you. I just wanted to gather you together like a hen gathers her brood. That's... This is like such a moment to me, reading this passage, of, of like this heartfelt passion or heartache or just like this distraught, what do you not understand? Like, I am willing to do this, right? It's, it reminds me, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem um, in Matthew's gospel and he says something, it's almost the exact same. But he comes and he's looking over the hill of Jerusalem as he's going there to die. And he's going there to die for these people and he knows what's about to happen and how it's going to go in some ways. And so it's this idea of like, this, this could have gone differently, right? This, this could be so much better. Legitimately, he could be their king in this most beautiful way. The kingdom of heaven could, could come with more fullness and with depth and people could be attached to it and it could take over their lives and they could forcefully lay hold of it. And yet, he's the only one willing. It's this, this like sentiment of, if you could see what I'm trying to do, right? Or if you could see my love for you, or why isn't this returned? What, what is, I'm just to gather you like a hen with a brood of chicks, and yet, no, you're just, you want to go it alone. You want your way. You want your own, right? And it's this, this terrible sentiment of, Jesus 
being willing and the world not being willing. And I know this is us also. And we see each other's lives and we see our struggles, right, that we have together. You see some of mine and I get to see some of yours. You know each other, some of you well, some you're, you're getting there. And we see each other's struggles and we see our unwillingness, right? Our unwillingness because of our community and because we are growing together and I feel like um, we're knowing each other better, we are sacrificing more together, we are, we are answering hard questions with each other, we are seeking to be in us and I really think we are, which is beautiful. In the midst of that, we are also seeing each other's unwillingness, right? We are, we are seeing people's response to this lament from Jesus in each other's lives. And I just, I know we're blind to them sometimes. I know the disciples surely thought Jesus didn't mean them, you know? Surely they thought, oh yes, the world out there is unwilling. But it's them as well. They're about to ask Jesus to call down fire from heaven on Samaritans that just are, you know? And it's this, this idea of us questioning Jesus' willingness for us, right? So let's, let's keep reading. He's going to give a few examples here. Not necessarily of that, but he's going to show his willingness in different ways. So let's, let's keep reading. We'll go through three different kind of situations. Uh, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, see, it? not everyone, not every Pharisee hates him at this time. Maybe they're trying to trap him, but we'll see. They were watching him carefully, And behold, there was a man with him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him and sent him away. And then he said to them, Which of you, having a son or even an ox, if they've fallen into the well on a Sabbath, will not immediately pull them out? But they couldn't even reply to these things. Jesus' willingness here to fulfill the law and actually go further than the pen, that they can't, they like can't quite grasp that willingness. They can't even answer because they know it'll get them in a pharisaical bind to say, yes, I would of course pull my son out of a well if he falls in on the Sabbath. Obviously, Jesus is saying you would, right? He's not call, calling them heartless fathers that they wouldn't pull their son out, but they can't bring themselves to say, no, we're good fathers and would pull our son out because they don't understand that Jesus goes beyond the pin of the law. They can't, they, they can't, get there. They can't quite get to his willingness to do that. They can't get to fulfillment of the actual law. They can't get past tradition. They cannot get past this, and they don't understand why he can. It's confusing, and they can't answer back, and they can't, like, the data doesn't compute for them, right? And they keep going, and then he told them a parable um, to those who were invited, which notice how they chose the places of honor. Let me start this again. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And then he who invited you both will come to you and say, hey, why don't you give, you, why don't you give this place to this person? And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. And when your host comes up to you, he may say, friend, move up higher at the table. 
then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table before you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, in this parable, I, honestly, this is a parable I actually feel like um, the world around, at, at least where I work, responds well to. I tell this parable all the time to people at work. All the time. It's like my favorite one to talk through. Okay, It's, it's this very normal idea, I feel like, in a very normal social situation that Jesus makes extraordinary and takes it spiritual to a different level, right? He says, when you get invited to a party, you go to a dinner party, right? Or you go to this important corporate board meeting, whatever. He says, if you try to exalt yourself and you go sit at the best place, if you sit at the right hand of the important person or the celebrated person, he's like, what could happen to you is someone more important than you can come in the room and they may say, hey, uh, Dustin, that's, I think that's so-and-so seat. Go ahead, would you give them that chair? And then in front of everyone, when you're all trying to sit down and eat your food or have your board meeting, you have to get up and go to the last seat that's available, which is the end of the table. He's like, that's going to be embarrassing for you. That's not going to feel good. He says, instead, what's better and like reasonable and very just normal life, social situation, everything, go sit at a spot that's not awesome and then have them ask you to come up. He said, if you go sit at the end of the table, they may say, hey, no, 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 come up here. Sit by me, sit by me. And then in front of everyone, you look awesome because then you get the best seat, right? That's very, very normal words. And again, we use it at work all the time. We'll, we'll tell someone, hey man, I'll be like, hey, look, I, I understand what you're doing, trying to assert right now. I get that. But let's, let's, let me tell you a story once. There's this guy that says, when you go to a dinner party, I'll tell those stories. I'm like, that's smart. Who says that? And I'm like, ah, oh, this guy named Jesus says that. And they're like, oh my Lord. I'm like, yes, really, he is. It's true. <laughs> he is, in fact. And we laugh, and I say, so just go sit at the end of the table, man. You're getting, you're getting too, just go sit at the table. And they're like, oh, that's, okay, I got you, I got you. And it's, it's wonderful, right? It works out great. But what Jesus is, is showing as well here that I think we miss, and that I think we forget, even though we all want it, is this idea of exalting the humble. And I think we, we have a hard time with Jesus wanting and being willing to exalt the humble, because then that's going to make us want the exalting a lot, right? It's hard to be humble when you want to be exalted in the midst of being humble, correct? Does that make sense, or am I talking crazy? That is hard for me, right? It's hard for me to separate the two. And I don't, lately, reading this especially, I don't think that's always terrible. Why, why is it bad for us to want Jesus, to exalt us, to, to shower us with grace, with love, with, with gifts, right? With affection from our family. What, why, is, why is that with something wonderful to happen, the good and perfect gifts that come from our Father alone? Why, why is that something we shouldn't want? And it's, it's this wonderful idea, though, that Jesus says, look, humble yourselves always. Make this a part of your life. Make it a part of your life to sit at the foot of the table. Be okay with it. Be it something you seek. Make it something that is so much a part of you, not just you discipline yourself for it, but it becomes a part of your character to seek humility above other things, to actually hope for it and to act in it and to practice it so that, in fact, God does exalt. And we need to be okay with that and be okay with wanting Jesus' willingness to exalt us our marriages, our work, our relationships, 
our relationships with our parents that we have a hard time with, our relationships with whatever it may be. Let it, let it be okay in humility to, to enjoy the exalting of God in this, to enjoy the host coming and saying, actually, no, that's not your seat. It's up here by me. Sit up here. Let's do, let's do this together. I want everyone to see you come up and sit with me, right? It's that idea. And, and going further is, I think, the, the one that I think is so crucial to us as a people and as a, as a church. And he also said to the man who had invited him, hey, when you have a dinner or a banquet, okay, which is interesting that he's saying this to the person who invited him and all these important people, but Jesus does what he wants. When you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, rich neighbors, lest they invite you to return, and then you'll be repaid. <laughs> Just so confusing, right? It's like, well, I, I wanted to be. <laughs> the, the guy inviting is like, I invited you also, man. What are you talking about? You were here. I invited you. What, what do you mean here? And Jesus explains, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at the table heard him say these things, he said, but blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, well, a man once gave a, ban- a banquet and invited many. And at the time, and then Jesus lets us into his life in this interesting way here. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to all those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. He says there, there's, and I, I love that Jesus is telling them this story after he laments. He says there's a banquet where everyone was invited. And then when it was time, the servants got sent out. They said, go out and tell everyone, the banquet's here. Let's do this. Let's celebrate together. Let's feast. Come over to my house. But they alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, but I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. How many of us can understand that one at least, right? Oh, alas, I'm married, and now I can't go do things. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm very much playing. (laughs) Asher, that's not the way, dude. (laughs) As I say and not do, my son. Um, He says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) Oh, man. So the servant comes and reports all these things to the master. The master of the house became angry, said to his servant, no, go quickly to the streets. Go to the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room at the banquet. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways, go to the hedges, and compel people to come in. And my house may be full, for I tell you, none of them who are invited are tasting my banquet. And I, what I want you to know very much in praying through this weekend for you is this. Um, yes, there's probably been times when we're the invited ones and we don't go, right? That's not even what I'm trying to tell you, though. 
I'm not saying you're spending too much time with your oxen. (laughs) Okay, I'm not even doing that. I'm not saying you're the one who went and bought a field and you're not going to the banquet because you're too concerned with what you're going to make from the field. I don't even, that's not even, it might be, you might be this person. I'm not even worried about that though with you. I'm not. Today. Not today. Another day, right? Over other drinks. What I need to know personally and what you need to hear Jesus say is that he is willing to go to the highways and the hedges for you. And he means it. And he did. And in Lent, as we celebrate Jesus' suffering, we celebrate it. And we put ourselves one with it. Know that when Jesus threw the party and was upset and lamented that Jerusalem would not come to the party. When the banquet was set and it was time and they had been invited and the servants went out, he said, please, for the love, compel them. I am willing for them to be at my banquet. He sent his servants. It said, compel Romy to come. I need her at my party. I need to dine with her. Compel Jonah. I need him there. Go to the streets and the alleys and find him. Get him here. I need him to dine with me. Jackie must come. If anyone must come, it is Jackie. Please, please find, compel her, get her from wherever she is, whatever her life is doing. Have her know I need her there. And we have to hear that. Right now, a lot of us need to hear that. That like, you weren't, you, he's not like, having to do what he said and forgive you because you asked. He doesn't love you begrudgingly. He's not like willing to be a part of your life and assert himself there because you like tricked him into it, right? We think like, well, now he feels like he said he would do it, but he doesn't want to, but now he has to because he said he would. That's how we feel, I think, a lot of times. I I actually know that's how so many of you and I feel. That is. And we show it in such interesting ways. We show it in our um, feelings of inadequacy. We show it in our insecurities in worship. We show it in the ways that like, we feel like if we really start pushing in and we really go there with Jesus, that we may find something we don't like because he really didn't want us to in the first place. We, we feel that way. We do as an us. We do. And that is not true. It's just not It is true that Jesus was glad to send out people to compel you to come into the home. To dine with Jesus, not give you the leftovers because of who you were before or because who you still are now. That is just not the case for you. God is willing to give you a seat at the table and it be a good one and to enjoy the feast with you. It's part of your life where we don't trust that he wants to be a part of and don't trust that he could to play a role in and change us through. That's not true. He's willing for that. Didn't want just the good parts of you. He knew where we were when he sent for us. <laughs> he knew which of us were in the hedges, to be honest, and on the streets and being 
ourselves. I think we need to hear today, legitimately, during Lent, as we celebrate and we mourn, may we mourn the fact that we just don't trust Jesus wanted us at the banquet. That he wanted a better version of us there. (laughs) Or someone else. Right? And I want us to be contemplative on that, really. And I want us to myself to take a hard look at my life and I want to know what I'm not willing to let Jesus gather me for right to protect me from to put the I mean I'm thinking of a chicken and chicks and that's a weird but do you know what I mean like the the whole brood thing to gather them and to like suffocate them with protection and with love and with like the future coming and they're growing and the, the whole thing, right? To just do that for me, I doubt still, which is so ridiculous. And I'm like telling it to you so loudly, right? But I do, I'm with you. But we've, we've got to seal this one, right? This, is, this has got to be one that is just a part of our belief and a part of our actions and a part of our us-ness, which is a terrible word, but it's got to be. And again, maybe you're, too worried about the ox or the, the job or your, you know, your wife won't let you go or whatever. I don't know. But I think it's the other for us. I think it's the other. I think it's we doubt his willingness for us to actually go, to be invited. It's like we snuck in and then he's going to see and notice and then we tricked him. Right? So, I want us to pray with that and then as we have communion, I want us to know that he enjoys you being at that table enjoys the sacrifice of his body and his blood for you. That was a joy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned to shame, and then just sat in the best seat. For the joy set before him. And I want us to know that's, that's a part of, we're a part of that joy. God's glory is that joy. Fulfillment of law is that joy, and we are part of that joy as well. Um, Lord, we, we want to trust this. Um, it is hard. For me, it is hard. For my friends here, I know it is hard. Um, you have allowed us windows into each other's lives that we know in each other what is difficult of this. But God, we want to say thank you for compelling us to come to the banquet. We want to say thank you for inviting us as well, for going to the hedges for us, for going to the alleys and the streets, for going to the highways far away, and for reaching deep into our lives and our dreams and our hopes, and for just compelling us to come to your table. Thank you for that. May we finally be able to celebrate that well not just for the person sitting next to us, oh, thank you for bringing, but for us as well. We're trusting that you want us to dine with you. You want us to share your body and your blood. You, you, we're happy to give that to us. Please let us doubt that no more. Please. In Jesus' name.